3: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
2: You're listening to the FT Money Show, brought to you by Investors Chronicle and FT Money. Hello and welcome to the FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent from FT Money. I'm joined by my colleagues Richard Anderson. From Investors Chronicle, hello. And Charlene Goff as well.
4: From FT Money, hi.
2: And together we'll be bringing you the financial lowdown in downloadable form. Uh, And today we've got a bit of a back-to-school theme because we're looking at uh, the holders of child trust funds who are now approaching five years of age and heading off to school. We're also going to be uh, looking at uh, slightly older students. So Richard, uh, what do we have coming up in the programme? Well, we explain how to take
0: advantage of opportunities in the student housing market... How to Avoid Penalties and Increased Interest Charged on Non-Payment of Tax and Good News, Bad News. And uh, have we
2: got some good news this time? We do indeed. Well, we'll look forward to that. Uh, but first, um, let's have a look at child trust funds. Um, as I mentioned, the, uh, the first holders of these uh, government-sponsored saving schemes are now approaching five years yeah. of age. But the big question is, how much are their child trust funds going to be worth? Richard, I, I hear that the majority of parents aren't making additional contributions on top of the basic £250 each child gets. That makes quite a bit bit of difference, doesn't it?
0: It makes a massive difference, yeah. I mean, according to research done, almost half of all parents don't actually make any contributions at all, which is a surefire way to make sure that you haven't got a lot of money at the end of 18 years. I mean, just some figures. If you just keep the £250 that you get from the government initially At the end of 18 years, it's not going to be worth even £1,000. Whereas if you invest £100 a month, which, okay, maybe a little too much for some, but it's not a great deal, it's going to be worth something like almost £50,000 when that child reaches 18.
2: That's a massive difference. There's an awful lot you can do with £50,000 at the uh, age of 18. Um, But I suppose, Charlene, that all depends on what you're investing in. Richard's looking at um, equity returns. Um, Are are most parents going into equities?
4: Well, actually, uh, we've seen uh, quite a large proportion of parents sort of play it safe and keep their children's money in sort of risk-free cash. And at the moment, they're, they're looking quite attractive um, with interest rates high there giving a return of sort of six seven percent which is fairly good but i think we'd say that you know you've got a long-term investment horizon now you know at least 18 years so really um equities is probably the way to go to maximize your return
2: i suppose the other option is to go into the the stakeholder child trust fund which is which is i think what you get put in by default if you don't make a choice um but they don't stay invested in equities do they
4: no i think they're invested partly in equities partly in cash they kind of spread the investment returns on those haven't been too good uh so far um so you know we would say you know do um try and invest it actively yourself and you'll probably find something that yields a much higher return
2: So I think the message there is make the most of the child trust fund. And uh, if you'd like to know more about uh, child trust funds, do look out uh, for uh, a report in this week's FT Money. You're listening to the FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent. And coming up in the programme, we'll be looking at uh, tax deadlines and the higher penalties and interest rates that may be payable, how to avoid them and also good news, bad news, who's in the good books and who is in the doghouse. But before that we're going to have a look at student housing because uh, students of a slightly older uh, vintage are all going to be heading off to university before too long looking for somewhere to live. Now this is an investment opportunity as well though for parents and other investors, because there's been a sort of mini-boom in uh, student accommodations. more and more 18-year-olds attempt to meet the government's targets uh, for further education. Uh, Richard, you've been uh, finding out uh, more about this. Yes, I went to speak with Lee Grandin at Landlord Mortgages to find out more. Lee, can you
0: just tell us why you feel that uh, student property is attractive and, and why people should be looking to buy student properties?
1: The main attraction from a landlord's perspective, is the higher rental yield that's achieved on a student property. You'll find that the average yield on a family let is lower, partly because you only have up to two working tenants, in effect. Whilst on student property, you could have four or five students who are backed by their parents whilst at university. So very much like professional sharers, they tend to yield a slightly higher rental income. On the face of it, that is highly desirable from a, a landlord's perspective um, over the longer term.
0: Uh, presumably also, I mean, you benefit from a higher income, but you also benefit from lower prices. Presumably student properties are, aren't that expensive.
1: Well, I think the important thing to consider here is more to do with the university, i.e. how successful the university is. If you have a university that has had good results in a particular field, that can bring in students from all over the UK. So if that university is then located in an area which prices are lower than the UK average, then that can make it look more beneficial to to landlords. So if you look at our recent statistics from our release, you can see that the university areas, Durham, Nottingham, Stoke, Sheffield and Blackpool, are located up north where average house prices are that much lower. So that creates potential for high yield. One would presume that these universities, in proportion to other universities, have had very good results.
0: What about people who... uh live in the South? I mean it may sound very attractive but obviously buying a property that's so far away from your home is not ideal.
1: Uh, That is an important further consideration. Previous stats have shown that most landlords invest very close to home even within a 10 mile radius of their home and that's predominantly because making money from property is not just about the rental yield it's even more so about capital appreciation or, or in effect What our landlords do is buy at under market value. They assess many properties in their local vicinity and then they will know what is deemed to be a cheap property, if you like, Um, and they also build up many contacts in that specific area. So someone looking from, let's say, London um, to invest in Durham, it's a significant distance to travel, which can actually um, create an issue in respect to finding under market value properties.
0: Right, so they'd actually probably be better off sacrificing a bit of yield and finding somewhere closer to home.
1: Well, at least our stats have shown that year to date. All I would say is that if someone um, is looking to invest and they are, for instance, located in Durham or near to Durham or Nottingham, Stoke, Sheffield or Blackpool, then it's certainly something they should be considering, i.e. letting um, to students.
0: I think one problem that a lot of people may have is just the fact that students perhaps wouldn't respect the property so much i know when i was at university our landlord had a a portfolio of properties but after a year dealing with us he sold a lot um i mean they just don't take care of properties still
1: i think uh, you'll find that students generally are very good um, tenants you always hear of the the nightmare scenarios but i think what's important is is how good the landlord is I think most of our professional landlords aren't so naive to this situation and they then furnish the property to to a standard which caters for, for students. So, for instance, if you look at some items that are, are standing in properties like settees, beds, tables and chairs, there's not really much damage that a student can do to those types of items unless they're considered to be a complete uh, nuisance. So, You'll find that a landlord will go in over the August period and renovate the properties, meaning that they'll probably do superficial improvements like a lick of paint, cleaning the carpets and maybe a basic rearrangement of the furniture. But that's really all you would expect them to have to do.
2: That was Lee Grandin at
1: Landlord Mortgages.
2: So um, Richard, Lee, Lee was talking about investing directly in student properties, um, not without its hassles I would, uh, I would imagine. Certainly. I mean, as we heard, Lee was talking about
0: some of the, the student hotspots being up in the north. Durham came out top of their survey. Obviously, if you live in London, it's not really practical to, to buy a property in Durham. Yeah, because how, how are you going to go and
2: unblock the sink and things exactly, like that? Exactly, yeah. Um, Sh- Charlene, um, there, there must be other ways in which you can get exposure to student housing as, a, as an investor. What have you been looking at?
4: Well, yeah, there are lots of other ways. Um, For example, there's a a company called Unite, which is actually a publicly listed company that's been investing quite heavily recently into student halls of residence. And as a private investor, you could buy shares um, in that company and therefore get sort of indirect investment. Um, So obviously that that doesn't have the kind of hassles of being uh, your own landlord and managing the students yourselves, but it does come with an extra layer of risk as you're exposed to the fluctuations of the market. And Unite actually performed pretty strongly at the beginning of the year but over the last two months its shares have uh, seen their value fall by a third so you know you'd have to take that kind of that kind of hit if you go in that way.
2: So it's a higher risk way in but obviously you can you can get in with much smaller sums of money.
4: Yeah absolutely I mean you can you can buy anything the shares are priced about four pounds at the moment so you can get in Um, with a very small investment. Um, There are also a number of funds that are uh, at the moment only available to institutional investors. Unite has one and Savills has one. And some of these are likely to be expanded to retail investors over the next year or so. And we could see a couple of them turning into REITs. And so that could be another way in for retail investors. But that's not happening quite yet.
2: And uh, Charlene, you're doing uh, a story on this in uh, FT Money on the 1st of September, Saturday. Yes, I am, yep. Excellent. And Richard, I think it's also a piece in Investors Chronicle? Is that right? Oh, yeah. yes. You're, you're absolutely right. <laughs> I hope <Yeah>. you are. <laughs> uh, I am. In,
0: in next week's Money Planner supplement, which goes with Investors Chronicle, which will be out uh, the second week of September.
2: Excellent. So look out for that. Thank you both very much.
0: You're listening to the FT Money Show, and I'm Richard Anderson. Coming up, we have good news, bad news. But first, tax. Would you believe it? But the revenue is actually increasing penalties and the interest charged on non-payment of tax. So we sent Elaine Moore from FT Money out to see Tim Gregory at Safri Champness Accountants.
4: Tim, the government have increased the amount of interest payable on late taxes. Can you explain the changes that have been made?
3: Sure. Well, first, it's important to remember that this is interest is distinct from penalties, where someone is paying their tax late or um, submitting a return late with with tax to pay, there will be a standard £100 penalty. And where the tax is considerably later again, uh, subject to various deadlines, there are surcharges that are based on percentages of the tax outstanding. These interest rate changes are entirely separate from that and indeed additional to that. The interest rates across most of the taxes, income tax, national insurance, capital gains tax, Um, various stamp duty taxes, and another one or two things, have increased from 7.5% to 8.5%. And in relation to inheritance tax, they've gone from 4% to 5%.
4: And what relation do the increases have to the Bank of England recent base rate increases?
3: There is a, a link to the Bank of England base rates, but it's not direct it will be appreciated that there was a a recent increase in the bank base rate of uh, one quarter percent. and, uh, And this has given rise to an increase in interest on unpaid tax of a whole percentage point. That's principally because of the formula that they've been using in recent years. The formula works by saying that the interest that the taxman is going to charge is 2.5% above the rounded base rate. And the rounded base rate is arrived at by rounding to the nearest percentage point, but rounding down when the base rate is at something 0.5. So, what we've seen recently is we've had an increase in the base rate from 5.5%, which was rounded down to 5, and then add your two and a half, you get to a seven point five interest rate on unpaid tax. And the base rate is increased from five point seven five percent, which then gets rounded up to six percent, add the two point five, brings you to the eight point five percent.
4: So which people are likely to be affected the most by these increases?
3: There are some people who of course have quite deliberately not paid their tax or underpaid their tax and, and I think most of your listeners would agree that it's, it's entirely reasonable that um, that such people are, are charged a good rate of interest. Uh, but there are also people that I'm sure we've all heard of over, over the years who are suddenly faced with an unexpected tax bill and by definition an unexpected tax bill will in general go back several years. So not only will the tax have accumulated over the years but also the interest will have accumulated over the years and so the interest could really be quite substantial. Now, fortunately, the interest rate changes are not retrospective, so the impact of the increase will only have effect from the sixth of August two thousand and seven. But all the same, the longer one leaves it, the more more one has to pay an interest. And just thinking of, of a topical example, there was a, a recent offshore accounts disclosure facility offered by uh, HM Revenue and Customs, whereby they were offering a reduced penalty for voluntary disclosure of offshore accounts. Many people will have. Um, been completely in the dark as to whether or not that interest was taxable. They may not have known at all that there was tax to pay, and all of a sudden they're going to have a very large tax bill. Now that's okay if they are able to pay it straight away. Um, they're not going to be faced with the, the impact of this increased tax rate to a very large extent. But if they're not in a position to pay at the moment, then they're going to have this increased interest rate that will affect them to quite a large extent in the in the coming months or even years. That was Elaine Moore
2: speaking with Tim Gregory at Safri Chapman's. And finally today, it's time for good news, bad news. And uh, Richard, I I believe there's actually some good news this week. There is, or certainly I
0: think there is. I hope some people will at least agree with me. It's about the introduction by F&C asset managers of a carbon footprint calculator. Uh, But before you all turn off thinking there's some muesli-eating, sandal-wearing Guardian reader about to preach about the environment... This is actually a way that you can save money. Um, It's not just about uh, saving the planet. The government introduced one of these carbon footprint calculators a number of weeks ago, and obviously it's great news that such a a massive farm manager is following suit. But it actually gives some very good practical advice on on how to save money. Just little things like turning all your electrical goods off standby, which actually wastes an enormous amount of electricity, um, using energy-efficient light bulbs, and uh, even just... Little things like blowing up your tyres properly. These are all things that uh, do save energy, but by saving energy you save money. And this is an asset management
2: company just doing that out of the goodness of its heart.
0: Yeah, F&C is is very big in environmental investing. They actually have one of the top performing environmental funds, so they're obviously trying to raise awareness, hoping obviously that that money will trickle down into their funds. So that does
2: sound like um, good news, but let's say that you, you use the calculator and you work out all the savings you can make and you decide... Possibly to switch energy supplier, uh, for example, um, is that going to be all good news as well? Switching is the key. This is
0: where the bad news comes in. Oh. Um, Uswitch have done some research, which is basically or it's basically shown that electricity suppliers that had a monopoly in a certain area are charging a, a loyalty fee, as it were, um, as much as ten percent, sometimes even more, for simply buying electricity, as other people do, but you're being penalised just because this is an area where they used to have uh, have the market sewn up. Do so you end up paying
2: more than you might need to?
0: Yeah, NPower is one example. It charges almost £400 a year for customers in its in its home regions, and yet it only charges less than 350 for people outside home regions. So you try to be good, and you end up with bad news. <laughs> as is so often the case. But this isn't all bad news. It's simply highlighting that there are companies out there who are trying to stitch you up, but there are many electricity suppliers in all regions, so all you have to do is move to another
2: one. So there's some good news in there somewhere. Excellent. Thanks very much, Fisher. For more on any aspects of financial planning, visit ft.com forward slash money. And for any investment advice, visit investorschronicle.co.uk. And that's it for this week's FT Money Show. Remember, you can email your views and your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. And we'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's, goodbye it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from the FT Money Show team and our producers, Blue Barracuda.